Okay, we're starting here on the two dots on the top of Samach Dalet Amun Aleph. Gemara here is going back to investigate the statement that was made yesterday, which is the last piece, which is Musaf Sakala Beged Shetamei Mishum that the Sak has this over a Beged, which is that it's Tamei Mishum for weaving. Gemara asks the very basic question, which is, Otu Beged Lavariku? Isn't that the way you make a piece of clothing? A piece of clothing is woven. So Hachikamar, this is what it means. Musaf Sak Ala Beged Arig Tamed the exact opposite of what you would have thought it means, which is that the sack has more than the beged, that is that even when it's not woven, it is tamay. The way Rashi formulates it is, it's tamay because of a reek, even though it's not a reek. And the Gemara will explain this in one second. So even though it's not woven, and as it didn't like it is wo- woven. This is what we're talking about as a sack. And as Rashi explains that a sack is made out of notzah made out of the hair of the goats. So as opposed to beged, which would be made out of wool or linen, Something that is uses thread and is woven and stitched. Here we're talking about the hair of a goat. But the hair of the goat, you use a different methodology. You can weave it, but usually they're not so long. Rashi does talk about spinning, and the Gemara in a second will also say the same thing. That we're talking about spun hair of the goat. It's longer than just the, the hair itself. Now it's spun out. But over here, Umar says the Maichazi. What is this? ani, a poor person, kolea. Shalosh nimin, he is braiding three hairs with the lips of Arbito. Talk about the fact that maybe they were dyed, that they were colored, and they weave them together in order to make them decorative for his daughter. This is a type of adornment jewelry that is worn by a, a young poor girl. This is her necklace, her piece of jewelry. And since it's kalua, which is it's braided, that's enough to make it like Ari. So this is only true by sock. It's only true by sock because this is the normal way to put it together. This is a common usage of it. And therefore, it'll have a classification of a rig, even though it's not a rig. It'll be like it's woven, even though it's not actually woven. So here we have sock. It's not really our Gemara here, but the Mishnayot and Kelim discuss the different materials. And each of these materials have different standards in terms of size, in terms of how they're made, and when it'll be tamay, when it won't be tamay. This statement here is that sak, which is the material, the hair of the goat, has something that's a little different than a rig, the weaving, or a beged, which usually is more chamur. A beged has the lowest threshold to be considered tamay in terms of size. But sak has this one aspect where it's more chamur, which is that this braided hairs are classified as being a beged or being able to be Mikabal Tumah, even though by a beggar itself, by a woven item, it would not be the case. So now the Gemara is going to speak about this, the whole idea of sack and how we know additional items that are included. Tanra Banan, sack. Enli ala sack. I only have a sack cloth. If you remember, we mentioned the sackcloth before with regards to the roin, with regards to the shepherds, that they wore them. At the time I described it like a poncho. They wore it to protect themselves from the rain. So now I only have the sack referring to the common usage of it, which was that it was worn as sackcloth. How do I know to include these additional items? The kilkuli, Rashi calls it a horse cover. Others call it a breast strap. Which is a saddle band or a girth. They're just bands or strips that go around the horse in order to hold the saddle in place or to hold the load in place, or to stop the load from moving forward or backwards, they're made out of this same material. They're made out of notzah shel izim. How do I know that these are also included in Tumah? Tamalomar osak. Remember we had like before, o beged. O was a riboy to beged. So sort of here, the o to the sak is also a riboy. Yechol chavalim I would think that you would also include ropes and strings. Strings in meshichot are measuring strings. 
Tamlomer sak. That we won't include those items because it has to be domed sak. What are the characteristics of a sak? Masak tavui ve'arig. Just like a sack is spun and woven. Af kol tavui ve'arig. So too, anything that is spun and woven will qualify to be tamay like a sack. These ropes, these strings, even though they're called braided, they are twisted together. They are lacking on the spun side. And therefore they will not qualify over here. As Rashi points out, Why isn't this the same as the decorative item that is made by the Ani? Because he says, Over there, it's spun. And number two is, it's also, that's the normal way to do the weaving of such an item. In Otsashalizim, here we're using a large quantity for the ropes or the strings. That's not really weaving. Number one, and number two is, it seems like it wasn't spun either. So because of that, it doesn't qualify to be under the category of sack. So that is one piece. Now the Gemara says, Vareu Omer B'meit. By Tumata Meit, in Parshat Chukat, it says, V'cholkli Or, V'chol Ma'aseizim. So instead of using the word sack, it says anything that is made from the goats. Obviously the same thing, one is talking about the material, and one is talking about the end product. The sack is the end product. Maseizim is what is made from that resource. So titchatu, then you have to be metayer them. The rabot, kilkali v'etachevet. That comes to include these items. I would think I would include these additional items, the ropes and the strings. V'dinu, timei b'sheretz, v'timei b'meit. We know by sheretz, those were the first psukim we looked at, which was obesak, v'timei b'meit, which is the pasuk we just saw over here, v'chom ma'aseizim. Ma'akashi timei b'sheretz, v'timei ilat tavui v'arig. Just like by the sheretz, it was limited in what it was mitamei, only items that were domei sak, not chavalim, the mishichot because they lacked tavui varig af kishibetimei b'meit so to betimei meit lotimei ela tavui varig it should only be mitamei something that is spun and woven. Where it says hein what type of limud is this im heikil betimei sheretz shihikala because you're talking about tumata sheretz which is a lower form of tuma it's what we call tumat erev you're only tamei for a single day go to the mikveh the next day and at sunset you're tahor. Tumata meit extends over seven days. It's much more chamur tumah. So just because I have by tumata sheretz a limitation in what is tamei, why should I be nekel with tumata meit shi chamura? Why should I extrapolate from that to tumata meit to suggest that tumata meit should be exactly the same? It's not a logical argument. Tamalomar beged veor beged veor. It's gzeirah shava. It's between these two words a beged and or. Nemar beged veor besheretz. By Tumat Sheretz, it talks about beg, it talks about or, it talks about cloth, it talks about clothing, and or, skins, leather. And by Tumat it says the same thing. Just like by Tumat Sheretz, it only includes items that are tavoy varig, spun and woven. So too by Tumat it only includes these items that are Spun and woven. Gemara says, Ma begiv or hamur b'meit timei koma seizim. Av begiv or hamur b'sheretz timei koma seizim. If we can say that, if you have begiv or, it's a two-way street. So let's say, just like by tomato mate, it says koma seizim. Anything made from goat's hair. So let's say, just like by tomato mate, it included everything. So too, by tomato sheretz, it'll include everything. Enli ele davar baminizim. That's only things that come from goats. How do I know that I can get hair from other places? I can get hair from the tail of a cow and the tail of a horse. 
So how do I know that those have the same din as Miltzah Shalizim, the hair of the goat? Talmud Omar, Osak, from the reboy of Osak. He says, wait a minute. Ha, Fikte, you already used that, the Kilkuli Vechevek. You already used that to teach you that you include these additional items, these bands that go around the horse. Where it says, Hanimilim Yikame, the late Gzer Shabbat. Wait, that was before we had the Gzer Shabbat. Now we have the Gzer Shava. It becomes extraneous, the Osak. Because from the Gzer Shava of Begin and Or, now I learned, just like by the Tumata Mate, it says that anything, Chumaseizim is included, including a Kilkuli and a Chavek. So too, by Tumacheretz, I'll have that information from Tumata Mate. Now that I have that information, Osak is extraneous. If it's extraneous, I can use it for an additional Limud. That additional Limud means I'm Merabe something else. What's the something else that I'm a rabbit? That's the horse's tail hair and the cow's tail hair that will have the same din as the goat's hair. Now, it will still remain that limitation of sack, which is that only something that is tavui barig, only something that is spun and woven, that will remain in place. And because of the Gzereshava, we'll apply that to Tumata Mate as well. Now, the Gemara says, How do I know by Tumata Mate that also applies the fact that we have this reboy, this osak, which tells me that horse's hair and the cow's hair is included under the term sak, because I have osak, it's written by sheretz. How do I bring that over to tomato mate? Vidinu. We do. Okay, so the Gemara says, first, is it a logical argument? Dinu. Timei b'meit, v'timei b'sheretz. Ma kishi timei b'sheretz, asad davar abba mizanava sus mizanava parakama seizim. Here, the Gemara is using the logic in the opposite way. Here, I am more expansive. Before, I said by tumata sheretz, I'm more limited. And then I wanted to extrapolate that to tumata mate. That defies logic. Because I'm going to something that's more chamur, and I want to be mitzamsim. I want to limit it. But if the other way around, here, we're more expansive by tumata sheretz. I'm including additional items then certainly I should include those items by Tumata Mate. And that's what the Gemara's argument is now. Which is, says, hey, can you really learn that? So here the Gemara asks a question, which is, Sheretz has a Tzad Chumrah to it. Tumat Sheretz is not always the kula when you look at it in relationship to Tumat Amit. And that is because Tumat Erev is Shehi Merubah. Tumat Erev is, the simplest way to read it is, it's more common. It just happens more often. That's the simplest way to read it. The way Rashi reads it now is, there are more things that generate Tumat Erev than generate Tumat Amit. That's another way to say it. That makes it that you can't necessarily make a logical argument and say that if I know something with Tumat Sheretz, I will then know it for sure by Tumat Amit. If you're using logic, this is something that would undermine the logical argument. So one is, it's the most common type of Tumat. The other one is that is something that's found amongst many items. And the last possibility is that by Tumat Amit, there is only one item that generates Tumat Amit. And that's Amit. Other things do generate uh, Tumat Erev. So whatever the comparison is, there is something about Tumata Sheretz, that makes it that you can't necessarily learn or extrapolate things from Tumata Sheretz. Two, Tumata Mate, Tamalomar, Beged Ve'or. Beged Ve'or, Lekzei Shava. So the Brayta does this again. This is a very common way for a Brayta to present material. It presents a logical argument, which it undermines, and then says we need the Gzei Shava. And then it'll go back and do the same thing in the opposite direction, and say in the end we need the Gzei Shava for both directions. Never beg of or be sure, so never beg of or be mate. 
So just like by the osak that we find by sheretz, it comes to include the hair of the tail of the cow, the tail of the horse. So too, we're going to extrapolate that now through the gzair shava to tumata mate. It has to be here that the gzair shava is mufne. Quickly, a little background to this. The word mufne means that it's extraneous. It's unnecessary. And the reason for that is gzair shava technically, is what we call Gzerat HaKatuv. It is something that is not necessarily a logical argument. For that reason, in most places you need a misora, you need a tradition to be done a Gzer in order to learn a Gzer It takes two words here, or a word here and a word there, and says, we're going to connect between them. Well, how do you know to connect these words and not words in another place? That's something that you get through misora. Other arguments, for instance, in the Shloshes Midot of Rabbi Shmuel, those are logical arguments. Logical arguments can be made by anybody, because you could test the logic. The logic works fine. If it doesn't work, then it doesn't work. Gezei Shava is seen to supersede that, because it doesn't require logic. It's simply a matching of words. So that you need a Mesorah for. But the Gemara has an argument, and the Gemara Nida is, how true is that? How true is it by Gezei Shava do we say that logic doesn't matter? So there is a machloka between Rabbi Shmuel and the Chachamim there, and that is that if you simply have a Gzera Shava where neither of the words are extraneous, everybody agrees that it also has to fit logically. That's the equivalent of a logical argument. And if it doesn't fit the logic, then that Gzera Shava will fall away. There is Machloket there, which is how many of the words in the Gzera Shava have to be what's called Mufne, extraneous. What's called Mufne Mitzad Echad, extraneous on one side, or Mufne Mishnei which is extraneous on both sides. Here... The Gemara brings down that argument. The Gemara is saying that the logic will not work. Bright already presented us that. That you can't extrapolate from mate to sheretz or sheretz to mate because each side has a chumrah. So logic will not work here. That means that the gzeir shava has to be mufne, which means that it has to be at least one of the words has to be extraneous or not necessary in order to be done the gzeir shava to overcome the logical inconsistency. question is, how many do you need it to be both extraneous on the side of Sheretz and mate, or only on one of them would suffice? And that's what the Gemara says over here. It has to be Mufne, because otherwise the Gzer Shava wouldn't work. So what you have here is Gzer Shava is a Gzer but only in a certain framework, only in a way that the words were used for the Gzer Shava were extraneous, then it can defy logic. But if it's just a regular Gzer Shava, it falls into all the category of all the other items, which is that it has to fit to the logical requirements of any other of the limudim. The more unnecessary the words were in their context, they can be removed from their context and used for the Gzera Shava. Now Rashi says something very interesting over here. He says, why? Exactly your question. Why does that work? So Rashi says that when the words are extraneous, then we look at them in context, they are necessary. So now we are done the Gzera Shava. The Gzer Shava makes it as if I've written the information that's found on the other end of the Gzer Shava in the context where it's found. It's as if I say, that's a good word, transported the information from the other side, or basically, it's a reference, it's a cross-reference. And that cross-reference makes it as if I wrote here exactly what's written in the other location. And that's why it's able to overcome the logical inconsistency. Because it's no longer dependent on logic, it's as if it's written in the context in which it is found. Gemara says, I have to have it here that it is Mufne. So what's interesting here is that the Gemara does not suffice with the argument of the Braitha. David already said, you know, really, is that really a Chumrah, that it happens more frequently, more often? 
Here, the Gemara raises a different Chumrah and Sheretz, which is that Kiyadashah. Correct. That Rashi says. I mean, Rashi asks your question. The Gemara could have brought it earlier. The Gemara waited for the bright to the finish, and then raises the issue. Which is that, the problem is that Sheretz has another Chumrah, which is that the Shi'ur, the minimum requirement for a Sheretz is smaller than that of a mate. A mate, the minimum threshold is a Kazayit, an olive size. Whereas by a Sheretz, it's Kiyadashah, the size of a lentil, which is smaller. And that's clearly a Chumrah by Sheretz. So now I have a Chumrah by Sheretz, that means I have a Chumrah by Tumat because it's Tumat Shiva, seven days. I have a Chumrah by Sheretz, which is that it's Kiyadashah. That means from a logical standpoint, I cannot learn from one to the other. So I need this mufne. So Gemara asks, la'ai afnuye mufne. So the word la'ai, it's an interesting word. It's not clear where it came from. It might be Greek in nature. That's what the Oroch says. Rashi says it means be'met. From where? Tell me truthfully, where is it that it's extraneous, the words here? So Gemara says, mechte. Sheretz itkash l'sheikh wadzera. There is a juxtaposition between sheretz and sheikh wadzera. Both are tumat erev. Dichtiv, it says, ish asheretz itzem menu sheikh wadzera. V'samich and juxtapose that it says, Ish asher yiga b'chol sheretz. Uchtiv be b'shech v'adzera. And by shech v'adzera it says, B'chol begin b'chol or asher yelav shech v'adzera. So we know already that begin and or are within the category of tumat shech v'adzera. So begin v'or dichtiv rachmana b'sheretz lamali. I don't need the words to repeat it by begin v'or by sheretz. I already know that sheretz and shech v'adzera have commonality between them because of their juxtaposition. So just like by the seminal omission, it already tells us that there's tumat by begin v'or. So that should be obvious by Sheretz, it also applies to Begavor. The fact that I wrote the words Begavor by my Sheretz now become extraneous, unnecessary. Salam Ali. What do I need them for? That means that they are available now to don this Gezerah Shavah. That's good according to the one who says that when you have it be extraneous on one side, now by Sheretz, not by mate, that's enough. We've learned it, and we don't then ask or retort with logical arguments. Even when you have extraneous on one side, we still learn the but if there's a logical inconsistency, we do not learn it. What are you going to say here? No problem, by mate, it's also extraneous, unnecessary. Why? Guess what? Tumata mate was also juxtaposed to Sheikh Vadzera. Because it says, And we just saw before, by the seminal mission, it says, So now I have extraneous, both by Tumata Mate and by Tumata Sheretz, that opens it up for a Zereshava that can be learned without any questions about the logic of the argument. Because of that, we're able to learn this. Begbo'or teaches us the exchange of information between Sheretz and Tumatamate. That is, first of all, by Tumatamate, it teaches us that anything that is made from the izim, from goat's hair, is included. That's what we learn after Tumatamate. Tumata Sheretz will teach us two other items. One is not only goat's hair, but even other additional items, because we have O Sak. O is a reboy. It will also teach us the limitation of Sak, which is Sak is Tavoy Varig, that has to be spun and woven, so do we have those limitations. Tumatame will provide us the broad swath, which is anything made from Izim. Then Sheretz will provide for us the additional reboy of hairs outside of the A's, as well as the limitation to what items are included. And that will all learn out from the Gzereshava. Now the Gemara moves into Klay Midian, We've been bouncing around a little bit with Clay Midian. We keep bringing proofs 
from the Kelei Mijan, which is the battle with Mijan, and the booty that they bring back, and the items that are Tameh. So now the Gemara continues with that. There is, towards the end of that Parsha, it says, V'nakreiv et korban Hashem. It's interesting. At the end of all that transpires, after all the booty is brought back, they split it up, they divide it, they pay the taxes on the booty. Then there's this event, or a little incident, where the officers, the generals and the officers approach Moshe, and say, we want to bring a korban to Hashem. Because nobody died in the battle. We're thankful to Hashem, because nobody died in the battle. So they basically say, and I crave it, Korban Hashem. Korban Hashem over here means, not Kapara, but Toda. Thank you. Ish Asher Matzah, Kliza'av. Somebody found utensils of gold, etzadav etzamid, bracelets, chains, tabat, rings, agil, earrings, vichumaz, and tablets. So we want to give all of these as donations. Here the word Korban used as a donation, not as a Korban on the Mizbeach, right? Tetruma to Hashem. I'm Rabbi Lazar. Then Rabbi Lazar comes to explain, what is this agil? The simple interpretation of agil from the word agul, circle, is an earring. But he says, no, this agil is zedfus shel dadim. This is something that is shaped like the breasts of a woman. Kumaz, zedfus shel beiterecha. The kumaz is something that's made for the private area of the woman below. So these are decorative jewelry for the woman that are used to attract the man, whether it was worn out in public, it was only used by women of ill repute. It's not clear here how they were used exactly, but they are not considered to be items that are positive in nature. So then, Amar of Yosef, Ihachu, Now I understand the translation. Remember again, Rav Yosef became ill, and he also loses his eyesight. And therefore, Rav Yosef is always quoted as the Bucky in Targum, because he was no longer able to learn Torah Shebikhtav, because he couldn't learn it in Minachtav. So he became a Bucky and Targum with the translation. He says, now I understand the translation of this word as machuch, something that makes you happy, levity, laughter. Devar may really degichuch. means something that brings a person to a place of levity, a place here of leitzanut, Rashi says, which is the negative terminology. Amrle Rabba Migufe Dekra. You don't even have to go to the Targum. Shmami now, Kumas. What is the word Kumas? It's an acronym for Kan Makom Zima. This is the location of Zima. So here you have these items that are donated. Now, Gemara continues and says, Vaiktsof Moshe Apikudei Achayo. Moshe gets angry at the officers. This actually happens earlier. This is not at the end, but much earlier on, when they bring back the booty as well as the captives. And in, amongst the captives, they bring back the women. And Moshe is upset about this. They just had this problem by Balpoor and the Shitin that the Bnei Israel were Mizaneh et Benot Moav. So he says, oh my goodness, you're just starting this all over again. You're bringing back these women and now we're going to end up in a bad place. Amar Avnachan, Amar Barvua, Amar Lein Moshe Yisrael. So he interposes a conversation that's not found in the text, but that is, Shema Chazartem Lekukuchem Arishon. Maybe you've now sinned again like you did before. In the Pashtut Pasuk, Moshe is afraid of the women we brought back because, hein, hein, these are the women that caused the problem before, how could you bring them back as captives now? So he's not talking about the fact that the officers or the men of the army had done anything wrong, he's just afraid that these these women who were the cause of the problem, how could you bring them back and keep them alive? The way the Gemara is proposing question is that Moshe is almost accusing them of, did you possibly sin with these women, like, beforehand? Lo, their response is, lo nifgad ish. Nobody died. So it's clear that there's no Aveira here, because God would not have kept everybody alive and had no casualties of the war had they sinned. Amalehen in Ka'ein Kapara Lama. So again, the Gemara clearly takes this out of context. They're saying, well, then the officers are offering up a korban. 
A korban means kapara. It's clear from the context when they bring the korban, they bring it as a toda. They're saying a thank you. They want to thank Hashem because nobody died. The Gemara is taking it out of context. When Doresh said korban here means kapara. Why are you bringing a kapara if nothing went wrong? Nobody sinned. Say, fine. Nobody sinned in the physical sense, but that doesn't mean that nobody had improper thoughts over here. Miyat, when I crave it, korban Hashem. And then they brought the kapara. Because of that, Moshe accepted it. Why did they need kapara? Again, reading the word korban, not to be thank you, but rather as kapara, as atonement. Because they got enjoyment, meaning that they followed their eyes, they looked at things that they shouldn't have looked at. What is it that they looked at? They were in the middle of battle. They were at war. What's going on here? In the list of items that we said before, we talked about different types of, we call them adornments, jewelry. Some of those jewelry are things that are worn on the outside. I translated them in lucid, the earrings, the rings, the bracelets. These are things that one wear on the outside. But they also mentioned things that are considered to be private jewelry. Those are the agil and the kumas, the way the rabbalazar interpreted them. Those are things that are not worn out in public necessarily, but they are adornments of the woman, but private adornments of the woman. But the list puts them together and just lists them all in one shot. Why is that? To teach you. To teach you this din, we saw this back in the Gemara and Brachot as well, that the looking at a woman for simply the enjoyment and for, let's say, uh, improper thoughts about this woman it doesn't matter what you're looking at at the woman. It doesn't matter if you're looking at the woman when she is naked. It doesn't matter if she's fully dressed. A person has to, I would say, in a number of ways, look at the woman in a proper context. That is, number one, that she is a person. And she's not an object of desire. That's number one. And number two is, this is improper. You're not supposed to look at a woman for that purpose. It's not the right thoughts that a person should have. It's, that's not the type of thoughts that's going to bring a person to a good place. So the Gemara here says, because of this quality drawn between the different jewelry, it teaches us that there's also not only the letter of the law, but there's the spirit of the law. The letter of the law is that a woman has to have certain areas of her body covered. And a person may not look at those areas. But there's also a spirit of the law, which is, it's not just looking at the improper places. It's the type of thoughts you have when you look at the woman. And one has to resist that temptation as well. Tosafot asks a very interesting question. He says, don't we have a parsha of Eshet Yifat Tawar? <laughs> That's exactly this situation here. They go out to battle, they see a beautiful woman, and they're attracted to a beautiful woman. That the Gemara seems to be over here, negating that possibility. Because the way Moshe asks the question of the officers, and the way they respond, and they say, well, we, they might have looked, they might have seen something they desired. How come that's the case? Tell us what this answer is even more interesting, which is, so it says, Yeshlomar mikomakom shaykh ba isur. Tosfot says, Eshed Yafat is not just a simple thing. There's Isser involved in it. It's not that everything is okay and hunky-dory. And that's what David just raised here, that Rashi says, quotes Chazal on the spot, that lo dibra Torah, like neged the Torah knows the, I would say, the condition of an individual at war. A person who's a conqueror, a person who is in that position, loses some part of a control over their emotions and their desires. And therefore the Torah was not willing to restrict this issue because they knew that it was too hard. But that doesn't mean that it's a carte blanche to do whatever you want. Here it tells what clearly says it, that there's still an Isser involved based on what we just saw in the Gemara. Okay, now we move on to the next Mishnah. And the next Mishnah is interesting. Because this begins the second half of the parak. We began the parak with, that what if she cannot go out with? And then the other part is what she can go out with. So we've done so far all the Mishnayot about what you may not wear. 
Now we're at the point where we are, what you can wear. So Yotzaisha, the Chutei Se'ar. Women may go out with the strings of hair, Ben Mishala, whether it's her own hair, Ben Mishal Chaverta, whether it's her friend's hair, Ben Mishal Beima, or whether it is in animal's hair. She can use them, as Rashi says over here, that they shukolat behen sarah. They use them to braid or tie up their hair. You're allowed to use any of these items and to go out with these items. Ubin totefet. We already discussed this totefet, which was the front lid. Ubisaritim, the garlands. Remember that totefet was something that went across the forehead from ear to ear. And then the garlands, the saritim, were things that hung down towards the cheeks from the side. But that's only bismanche and tfurin. If you remember when the beginning, the first Mishnah said you may not go out with these because they were not attached to her hair covering. But over here, if they are attached to the svacha, they're attached to her hair covering, there we don't have a problem, because in order to remove them, she'll have to remove her hair covering, which will not happen. So she will not take them off anymore. She will not show them to her friends or should there have been, because they're, you're unable to do it. She may go out with a kabul or peyer nachrit into the chatzer, peyer nachrit being a wig, and a kabul we mentioned earlier, which is this hairnet. It's an external type of hair covering, that goes on top of the svacha, that she can wear into the chatzer, implying that she may not wear that into the rishuta rabim. Which of these chatzer modifies? It seems from here that it modifies both of these items, but not anything else that the Gemara is going to discuss. Now she may go out b'moch shibozna, with cotton in her ear, or b'moch shibsandala, or a cotton in her sandal, or b'moch shidkina l'nidata, as well as cotton for her menstruation, the equivalent of a tampon. Bipilpel, she may go out with a peppercorn in her mouth. Ubegalgal melach, which is like a globule of salt. Bechol davar Anything she puts in her mouth. As long as it wasn't put into her mouth on Shabbat itself. It was there prior to Shabbat. Bimnafal, but if it falls out of her mouth, lo She may not put it back. So in these items, Rashi says, Bemoch shitkina This cotton that she prepares to plug her menstruation, Rashi says that to protect her from her clothing becoming soiled. That the blood doesn't come out and soil her clothing. Tosafot says that cannot be the case because it's called a tzule tinuf. We saw that already earlier by the Zav. You're not allowed to wear something that's simply to protect your clothing. You can wear things that are to protect you and you can wear clothing. You cannot wear items that are simply to protect your clothing. The classic example that's given of that is you may not wear a hat cover. A hat is worn to cover your head. If you wear a hat cover, the reason that you wear the hat cover is to protect the hat, not to protect you. As opposed to like a raincoat. A raincoat, yes, it protects your clothing, but it also protects you. It stops you from coming wet. So the argument by the hat cover is exactly this, that it's that's Latino, if it's to protect the hat, not to protect you. So over here, Tosot says that can't be the reason. So Tosot says the reason you do this is that it should not fall on her leg. That the menstrual blood, not that it shouldn't dirty your clothing, and that it shouldn't come on her, herself. And that's why it has to be put in here. The second thing is, why is she allowed to go out with these items in her mouth? She's chewing on these items before Shabbat. Why is she now allowed to go out without worrying about them? So the Tosafot brings from the Rebbeinu Parat, Gzeira Mishom Shkikat Simamanim. It's a problem of medicinal usage. Came into the Rufuah. Since it's for Rufuah, she may not put it in on Shabbat. If she puts it in prior to Shabbat, then we no longer have that Fear, because she's not doing it on Shabbat. The refuah was already put in place before Shabbat, and therefore it's fine. 
Tosafot then asks on that, that it cannot be the case, because we know, if you have a bandage on before Shabbat, and it comes off on Shabbat, you're allowed to replace it. You're allowed to put it back on, as long as it's there before Shabbat. That would indicate here, if you're chewing on these items, they fall out of your mouth, you should be able to replace them, put them back in your mouth. And therefore, Tosafot brings a second explanation, he says, So we don't want you putting it in your mouth on Shabbat, because it looks like you're trying to put it in to carry it. You want to move this item from one place to another, you can't carry it. So what do you do? You stick it in your mouth, then you walk across. That's how you're going to move it. Says, according to that reasoning, all the items, not just this, Pilpel and Galgal Melech, are modified by this. It's talking about every item there that you put in, the cotton in the ear, the cotton in her sandal, would all have to be put in there before Shabbat. Because the same fear would be true. Which is that it would look like you need to carry the cotton from there here to there. So what do you do? You put it in your ear and you walk across. So we're not going to let you do that on Shabbat. If it's in there before Shabbat, fine. But if it's on Shabbat itself, it looks like you're trying to carry it. Tosu then expands the modification that's made by this Mishnah onto the other items that are prior based on that reason. Then the Mishnah continues and says, Shein Totevet v'shein Shel Zahav. Shein Totevet is like a fake tooth. Shein Zahav is a gold tooth. Rebi Matir v'chami Mosrim. We'll get to that later in the Gemara. The basic problem here is... Since they are different than her teeth, people are going to laugh at her. And when they laugh at her, she's going to pull it out and carry it in Rishut HaRabim. Agumar says, We need, in the beginning of the Mishnah, the three items that are mentioned. We mention her hair, her friend's hair, and the horse's hair. If we only mention her hair, It's not so disgusting. It's her own hair. Yes, it's detached from her head now, but it's her own hair, and she's just using it to braid her hair. To use her friend's hair, which is not... So pleasant. Aim alone. Maybe we'd say no. And because of that, she'll come to pull it out and carry it. If we mention just her friends there, the bat minau, at least that's coming from another human. So that's why we don't worry about it. Aim bar minau. A behema coming from an animal. Then we'd say no way. Aim alone. Therefore, the Mishnah listed all of these items to teach you that all of these items are permissible to go out with. You pull them out. That, yeah, they'd be uncomfortable or people make fun of it and then you pull it out and show it. So the Gemara here says that all of these items are put in properly in a way that, again, they're not too tight, but they're tight enough where they're not going to fall out. We're not worried about them falling out. We're not worrying about this woman pulling them out. Remember from the first mission on the Perak, she doesn't have to loosen them up to go to the mikveh because they are tied tight, but not so tight that they create a chatzitza on her head. So there's no reason to believe that this woman will take these hairs out of her head. But... That's not always true. Tano, we have a modification or qualification of this in a prayer. Tobavad, shalotetze yalda, b'shalzkena, uzkenesha yalda. The truth is that it can't be anybody's hair. A young woman may not go out with an older woman's hair. And as a kena, an older woman may not go out with a young woman's hair. Mara says, wait a minute. Bishlama, zikena, b'shal yalda. I understand why an older woman would want to go out with a younger woman's hair. Kashevachula, that is something that improves things for her. She's now gray. She takes a younger woman's hair, which is, Still dark, still black. So then she's improved her situation by taking the younger woman's hair. Why would a young girl ever go out with an older woman's hair? Why do you have to even tell me that? It's just not something that happens. Where it says, I did the Tana. It's just a literary style. Since the Tana mentions that it's a yada, the older woman may not go out with a younger woman's hair. So too, a younger woman may not go out with an older woman's hair. That part is obvious. A younger woman won't go out with an older woman's hair because clearly people are going to make fun of her or it doesn't look right, so she's definitely going to pull it out. But the brightness really come to teach you the opposite side, which is that the older woman may not go out with a younger woman's hair because over there it's going to make her look better. And despite that fact, we say since it's different, 
She's going to end up pulling it out, or people are going to make fun of her, she's going to feel uncomfortable and take it out. Okay, now the Gemara continues, Bakabul, Payan, Achid, Chatzer, Amarav. Kol, Shasru, Chachamin, let's say, Pulu, Rishut, Arvim, Asu, let's say, Pulu, Chatzer. Anything the Chachamim are Usair to go out to Rishut, Arvim, you're Asur to go out to the Chatzer. Chutz, what's the only exception? Kabul, Payan, Achid. That's what our Mishnah says. Our Mishnah just said, Kabul, Payan, Achid, she's allowed to go out to the Chatzer. So even though she may not go out into Rishut, Arvim with them, she may go out into the Chatzer with them. But all the other items that were mentioned in Mishnayot, where you may not go out to the Shudarim, you also may not go out into the Chatzer. Now, according to most of the Farshim here, we're talking about a Chatzer She'enu Revit. We're not talking about a Chatzer that has a Eruv around it, where you can carry anything. Everybody agrees that these items are not Muksa. So you could carry them around, and therefore she wore them in a Chatzer Hamu Revit. It seems obvious that that's okay. But then here's a Chatzer She'enu Revit where carrying is not allowed. So over there, it'll have the same status as Rishuta Rabim. The only exceptions are Kabu and Peinachrit. That's what's mentioned in Mishnah. The other hand, Rabbi Anani Bar Sasson. Again, usual, we don't see this Amora. Mishmei, the Rabbi Shmob, Rabbi Yossi Amar, Akol ke Kabu. Everything is like a Kabu. Anything that was restricted here because you're not allowed to go to Rishuta Rabim, then you're allowed to go into the Chatzer with it. This modification of Chatzer goes on everything we've mentioned until now. So tonight our Mishnah says, It only mentions those two items. Bishmah rather makes a lot of sense. These two are the exception to the rule. That's why the Mishnah mentions them separately. For the Rabbi Anani Barsason, Kasha, what's he going to do with our Mishnah? He quoted in the name of somebody. Who was that? Mishmeid Rabbi Shmol Rabbi Yossi. Mishmol Rabbi Yossi, Tanu Polig. Now, Tanu Polig is interesting. It's a term that's usually used for an Amora to explain that an Amora can argue with Tanayim. It's used by Rav. Oh, Tanu Polig. Over here, Rabbi Shmol Rabbi Yossi is a Tana. And so that's what it says, Tanu Polig. He has a different Tana that he subscribes to. So yes, you're right. The mission doesn't support him. But he subscribes to Mishmol Rabbi Yossi, which supports his position. Gemara says, Rav, now we have to explain Rav's question, Maishnohani. Why are these two the exception to the rule? Samarula, Kedesh, Lotigane, Al-Ba'ala. That she should not become disgusting to her Baal, to her husband. So Kedetanyo, we have a brighter, Vadava, Benidata. One who menstruates should be Benidata. The word Nidata, the Shoresh, the etymology of the word is from the word Nidui, which means to put in excommunication. Nida was separated in society. She was Tmea. According to many of the Bishonim, we discussed this when we did the Gemara Nida. She's also considered to be a Chola. She's going to be also sick and therefore dangerous because it has a contagion to the sickness, not because of like we think about contagiousness, but because through her ayin, through her looks, she can actually cause others to be sick. Therefore, she's put into nidui. She's put into separation. So zekeni marishonim amru kos. She may not put on eye makeup. She may not put on blush. She should not get dressed up because. She's an dava benidata. Since she is menstruating, she is benidata. She benidui, separated out. She should not try to attract. She should not be beautiful. She should be, we know that nidui, excommunication, has the same din as a velut, which is that a person doesn't adorn themselves. They don't make themselves beautiful. Ad Shabbat Rabbi Akiva. Rabbi Akiva came and saved the women. If you do this, the husband, he's going to see his wife in this state. They're going to make it every time she is in her state of menstruation. She has to become ugly. She has to not present herself properly. The husband still interacts with her. If that's the case, he's going to come to be disgusted by his wife. Let me interpret that properly for you. That means that she remains until she goes to the mikveh. 
So even though she has passed her point of menstruating, she'll still until she goes to the mikveh. So that's the way Rabbi Akiva interprets it. But what do you see from this? You see from this that a woman is allowed to adorn herself, to dress up while she is a nida. And because of that, we saw this position of that there is an importance that a husband still be attracted to his wife. And therefore we have dispensations. Here Rabbi Kiva darshins it even according to the Torah. There's a dispensation for a woman who's a nida to still to dress up and adorn herself. And here Rav interprets it with the gabei the Mishnah, that the Chazal, even though they were oser, wearing jewelry and adorning herself because of the fear of the violation of Shabbat, nevertheless, they gave dispensations for the Peyanachrit and for the Kabul, so that a woman should still be able to present herself to her husband in a beautiful manner. Now, who is the Allah like? Is the Allah like Rav or Rabbi Anani bar Sasson? So that those that paskin like Rav, Tosafot, says that Venira, the locha Rabbi Anani. He says the locha is like Rabbi Anani. Now there's numerous Rishonim. There are four or five opinions in the Rishonim about this. And in the locha, it seems like we pass them like Rabbi Anani versus Son like they tell us what it says over here. He brings some interesting things here. He says, number one, this is a Dinder Rabbanan. If a Machoka Dinder Rabbanan, we don't know how to pass them like, you go... The hakel, the suffix derabanan, you go the hakel, that would follow Rabbanani Barsason, that means that women can wear anything they want in the chatzir. But then, he brings up something, David, that you asked uh, yesterday, which was about the Rishut Rabim. And he says this, you can look on the, as the Tosut lines get wider, on the second line down, at the last word, it says, Va'anu, she'ain lanu Rishut Rabim gamur. We don't have a real Rishut Rabim anymore. Tuchol Rishut Rabim she'lanu karmaliti. All of our Rishut Rabims are really karmalit. They don't qualify to be a real Rishut Rabim. Why? They're not 16 amot wide. And the 600,000 people don't pass by it. So again, that is something that is not clear, is necessary. The Rishonim, and already in time the Gonim, they start to add this qualification in. But Tosfot says, we don't qualify for that. It's the equivalent of a chatzir that doesn't have a revanit. We don't have a Rishut Rabim anymore. That means that everything has the same status as a chatzir she'enu mi'urevet. And if we pass them like Rabbi Anani Sason, that means our women can wear their jewelry anywhere. They can wear it not only into the chatzir, they can wear it out into the Carmelite. They can wear it out into the public domain because there is no public domain. Then, he asked about that, wait a minute, you're equating a Carmelite to a Chatzir She'enu Mi'urevet. And that's not true. The Gemara differentiates later on in the Masechta, when it comes to a fire, you're allowed to move items out of the house into a Chatzir She'enu Mi'urevet, but you're not allowed to move items out into a Carmelite. Carmelite still has a higher status than a Chatzir She'enu Mi'urevet. So maybe it's not a Rashid Rabim, but it's also not a Chatzir She'enu Mi'urevet. How can you equate the two? So this is even more interesting. The quotes from the Sefer Chum, Aminu Rabbeinu Baruch, Kevin Delidhudu, since in their day they had a real Rishut Rabim, they would not equate a Chatzir Shein Mu'revet to a Carmelite. Therefore, their Carmelite was usher like Rishut Rabim. But for us, Shein Lan Rishut Rabim Klau, we don't have any Rishut Rabim. You don't have to make a Carmelite be so chamur. It'll be like a Chatzir Shein Mu'revet, because that's the only thing we have. We don't have a Rishut Rabim, so the Carmelite's not going to have a status of Rishut Rabim. Then the last thing is, by Rabbeinu Shimshon Matzakatuv, B'Shim Rabbeinu Sar Shalom, this is also quoted by the Ramah, the Alocha, which is that, we have a number, numerous opinions here. Some of them pass them like Rav. Some of them have some limitations about not going out into a Carmelite. Maybe you shouldn't go out to the Carmelite. But, nevertheless, our women, 
do wear jewelry out in public. Now women wear jewelry out in public. He ends off with They're not going to listen to us anyway. So better not to tell them not to go out with this. So better that they are shogugot than not mezidot. The Archa actually over here expands that and says that our women today are different. The women in their day did not go out in public so often. So therefore, if they did go out in public and they were completely adorned, they saw their friends, they showed off their jewelry. That's not something that happens today. Women today are out in public all the time. And since they're out in public all the time and they wear jewelry on a regular basis, they don't go out and start showing their jewelry to other people. It's not a common occurrence. And therefore, maybe the Xerah is not as applicable to our women today. Now, I have a story for you, something that can only happen in Israel. It's one of those Israel stories. On my way over here today, the taxi driver said to me, can I ask you a question? Sure, you can ask me a question. He goes, I heard that women are not allowed to go out with a shetel this morning. I said, okay, that's interesting. I knew what he was talking about right away. Today's daf. So he said to me that he listens to on Kobarama in the morning, they have on the radio, the Dafyomi. And he hears the Dafyomi every morning on the radio. I said, how long is it? He goes, it's a half an hour. So that's pretty good. He gets it done in a half an hour. I can't do that. But I go and he managed to get in some extra stuff. He talked about wins. You know, it's in the today's daf. But how did he get into the extra daf? Yeah, he goes, he managed to stick it in. But I want to understand it. So he asked me, he said that you're not allowed to wear a wig. He was very shaken up by this, that how is it that women are not allowed to wear a peyanachri, not allowed to wear wigs? It happens to be that our Gemara is the pivotal point in this sukya. And that is because the Shilte Giborim, which is found on the Rif here, so today is Daf Samach Dalet, back in the Dapea Rif, if you look, Daf Chavtet in the Dapea Rif, the Shilte Giborim writes, Yiremize, he says from this, Bavi Raya, I want to bring a proof to the women who go out with wigs that it is permissible. When they are married. I can prove it to you. How can I prove it to you? Because over here it says, A woman is allowed to go out with a sheto on Shabbat. It's a hat that has hair stuck on it. It has nice hair and a lot of it. And that is her adornment that she wears. And how do I know we're talking about a married woman here in our daf? Gemara already said this. How do we know we're talking about a married woman? Because it says, The whole reason she's allowed to wear a pair of is that she not be disgusting for her husband. So I can prove to you she's married. We're talking about a married woman who's going out with a is going out with a wig. Talking about a woman is married. The reason that Rab says it's okay is whatever he's describing here. But in their time, this this braided hair that they wore, there was a hey, the cranial, very good. Says it's mutar to wear a wig. We have a principle that woman's hair is an erva. That's only true with hair that is attached to her head. And her scalp is also apparent with the hair. There is no problem Like our Gemara says, doesn't matter if it's her hair that's in the wig, whether it's her friend's hair. But here you have it, that the Shilte B'Giburayim brings down that it's clear that a Peyanachrit is no problem at all. And he brings other proofs, he speaks about it a little more extensively over there. Now, 
What's the other side? And that he asked me about it. I said there are differences of opinions here. The other side actually comes from Rashi on our sugya. Rashi on our sugya says, why does she wear a peyanachrit over here? Why does she wear a shetel? So Rashi says over here, the reason that she wears a peyanachrit is pleyatsear plusha vitsovartal sara. Piles it up on her head in pleyata she tereb balatsear. So she looked like she has more hair. Why is she putting it on her head to get look? It could look like more hair. That's one thing. The second thing is, the peyanachrit here is only mutar in the chatzer. You have to know that with regards to covering up hair, there are actually different gradations halakhically about when a woman needs to cover her hair within her house, within the chatzer, and then with the shuta rabim. The most restrictive area is the shuta rabim. A woman has to cover her hair entirely when she goes out to the shuta rabim. Within the chatzer, where there are less people, and it's not a public thoroughfare, a woman may not have to cover it at all, or maybe only has to cover it partially in her house, maybe not at all. Again, there is the batchimchi, where the Gemara says that the walls of her house never saw her hair, that there's value to covering her hair. Guests come over, people come over. Does that change the status? These are all lack of issues that are not relevant to us right now, but I'm just telling you that there is a difference in status. That's another thing. So based on that, there are those that want to suggest over here, number one, the Allah that's brought here is only Bechatzer. It's only in an area where a woman doesn't really have to cover her hair. It's a place where she has to either cover it partially or not at all. And the reason Peyanachrit works over here is because she doesn't have to cover her hair. But in Okanami, Bishut Rabim, the Gemara does not permit her to go out with the Peyanachrit, Bishut Rabim. No, but his argument is that it's not considered a hair covering. That's exactly his argument. His argument is that a wig does not work as a hair covering. It's only allowed in the chatzir because she really doesn't have to cover her hair there. Should there be because she has to cover her hair, it doesn't work. You can't take it out there. Number two is Rashi. Rashi says that the hair was used to make her look thicker. So his the claim is that it was used to stuff a hat. It was to make the hat look full. So they put it inside of another hat to make it look like she had a hair that filled out the hat. Why not stuff it with something else? Because sometimes the hat moves and stuff, and then you have cotton hanging out. It doesn't look good. So she stuffed it with hair in order to make it look good. The difficulty with this explanation, and with these explanations, is, number one, the Gemara is clear about why she can't wear a perinachrit into Shut Rabim. The answer is, because of Hilchot Shabbat. Nothing to do with Hilchot Sniut. The reason she can't wear it into Shut Rabim is like any other piece of jewelry. She might take it off. They laugh at her. She might want to show it to others. She's going to take it off and carry it through Shut Rabim. It's a din in Halakhot Shabbat. It's not a din in Halakhot Sniut. Restriction here is not because it's not considered covering her hair and then it's a masui. Carrying it into Shut Rabim. That's clearly not the reason for it over here. That's a good proof, right? That the fact that she might take it off from Shut Rabim shows you that otherwise her hair is covered. I mean, there's another covering on her hair. It's interesting. So because of that, the Allah is, and this is the difference in opinions, this is what I answered the taxi driver today, that there are different minagim. The Magin Abraham, Paskins like the Shulti Giborim over here, and therefore B'nai Ashkenaz in general have the minog, that their women do go out with peyanachrit, with wigs, and consider it to be that the hair is covered. B'nai Svarad, many of the Svaradim, and I think the Vajravad Yosef also Paskins this way, that they may not use a peyanachrit. The peyanachrit does not qualify as hair covering. For most adult of Farad, their women do not cover their hair with peyanachrit. I think they have adopted it, because it's so common amongst the Ashkenazim, I think that many of the Sephardim also have that minhag. There's also the minhag Hasidim, which follows a lot, this approach, that basically the hair was used to stuff a hat. And therefore they not only wear a peyanachrit, but they wear a hat on top of the peyanachrit. 
And that the wig is used to hold up the hat, to put a hat on top. This me right she may not have to cover her full head. There's well, how much she has to cover me right versus that you did. So what they do is they wear the pernachrit with a hat on top of it to indicate that it is a pernachrit and also to qualify based on this understanding. Again, something that could only happen in Israel. I was able to tell the taxi driver this. Just want to finish up to the two dots here quickly. Anywhere when we say something's a sore because of what my people might think you're doing, it's not only a sore in public, it's a sore even in the private chambers. It's not. What about an army shnayotavir? You can't go out with a bell even though it's plugged. We said before the problem with that is that it looks like you take him out to the shuk, you take him out to sell him. But we have another bright that says, that you can plug the bell and you can go out in the chatzer. Wait a minute. How come you can go out into the chatzer if that's something that you're not allowed to go out into public with? That is a machloket anayim. Whether marit ayin has application in the private domain is a machloket anayim. It says, shotchan bechama. Person comes back and he walked through a river and his clothes are drenched. Is he allowed to put them out in the sun to dry? So here it says, Shotchan Bechama, you can put them out in the sun to dry, Valo Kedegadam. As long as the people can't see it. You're allowed to hang it out on the clothesline as long as the people can't see it, so they don't think you wandered on Shabbat. Rabbi Eliezer, or Rabbi Lazar, or Rabbi Shimon stream. They say, no, even though the people can't see it, it's a problem of Marat Ayin. Tosafot over here says, Yesh Mufrashim, then Allah Karav. Allah is not like Rav because he brings a proof from a Gemara in Chulim. It says, Tosfot over here makes one qualification and the Tosfot back on Samach Bet and when Aleph does the same thing makes another qualification over here that this principle of Rav is not all-encompassing. Not every time do we say Marit Ayin do we say that it means it applies across the board. That no matter what Marit Ayin and then you can't do anything. Marit Ayin is only true where the way you're doing it now is equal to the exact way if you did it in Rishut Rabin, it would have the same suspicions. One of the exceptions, he says, if, if when you do it in the private domain, if there's another possibility about why you're doing it there, in public, that wouldn't exist. But in the private domain, it would exist. There might be more than one reason why you're doing it. That would not qualify as Maratayim. The other thing is, that if, if you were to do this in Rishut Rabin, it would not be Maratayim, meaning that, it would, that nobody could see it in the Rishut Rabin as well, then to do it in the chatzer also would not be problematic. Even though you're not allowed to do it in Rabim, because whatever the halacha is, but in the chatzer you could do it because you could replicate what you're doing in the chatzer in the shuter Rabim, and it wouldn't be maradayin there. So Tosavot starts to narrow down the scope of what Rav says about maradayin, not to say that it's all encompassing. Every time we have maradayin, it's all included. But there is some sort of narrowness of that statement. Okay, we'll stop over here.